This is Viterbi Voices. Coming to you from the University of Southern California, Viterbi School of Engineering. We're here to give you the inside scoop on research, classes, student life, and so much more. All of these shared by students, faculty, alumni, and other members of the USC community. We have spent the last three, four episodes, I don't even know, Maya, or at least every time you and I have talked over the last couple of weeks, we have talked, mostly because it's my fault, uh, we've talked about Barbie, we've talked about Oppenheimer. And and we've talked about Taylor Swift. And and as advertised, this podcast is going to get into the Barbenheimer phenomenon because we decided that in our conversation, oh my gosh, there's so much stuff we want to talk about. And I'm certain we have other people that have seen it and have their inputs on it. So in a minute, we're going to dive into the analysis, if that's the best way to put it, the discussion, the feelings, the, I don't know, maybe controversial controversial thoughts related to things related to Oppenheimer, things related to Barbie. And then at the end, the Barbenheimer phenomenon, what has been going on there? We'll get into all these things in this conversation. So uh, the first warning for all of our listeners right now, before we dive into anything, this is going to be a spoiler-filled conversation. So if you have not <laughs> seen Oppenheimer, if you have not seen Barbie, Stop listening now and go buy a ticket to see both of these movies right away. You need to. You're going to love it. We loved it. There's lots of stuff to go over. And then come back and listen to us so we can discuss everything. Mm -hmm. So from an engineering student perspective, Oppenheimer, (laughs) Barbie, there's some fascinating thoughts here I want to get into. And to help us, we have uh, lots of people, not lots, well, more than just you and I, Maya. We have a few of us here. Yeah that that are going to discuss it let's get everybody tuned into your voices but first maya go ahead and introduce yourself yeah i can start hi everyone for those of you who don't know me i'm maya newenschwander i am the co-host of the Turby voices podcast with paul and yeah we we have been talking non-stop about this barbenheimer phenomenon i'm originally from hudson wisconsin um, in school i study industrial and systems engineering and i don't know if i said this but i'll be a senior next year never gets old yes Celine. Hi, everyone. My name is Celine Vasquez. I'm a senior studying biomedical engineering, and I'm from Montebello, California, and I'm really excited to talk some Barbenheimer today. Grace. Hi, everyone. My name is Grace Sampson. I'm currently a senior studying mechanical engineering here at the university, and I am from the very, very small town of Bluegrass, Iowa. Woohoo! Got two Midwestern right. girls on here right now. All right. Woo-hoo. Very cool. Very cool. Uh, and Grace, uh, full disclosure, you are recording this from a parking lot in your car. Uh, you're not driving. But where? what was the situation? I'm what not happened? driving. What, what, what happened to get to this point of where you are and what you're doing for this podcast? Well, I work for General Motors. I'm an intern this summer and I entered for them last summer. And I worked a little bit later than usual. Usually I start with production at 545 in the morning, but we had a VP come visit the site today and I stayed late until about 530 and then found out I was going to dinner with all the interns and the VP and it (laughs) went a little bit too long. So now I'm in the restaurant parking lot and ready to have a good time. That's commitment. You went for a long dinner, which we don't want to miss those opportunities. And where are you? Where are you actually located right now? Like, where are you working? I'm in Spring Hill, Tennessee. So I work for the Spring Hill Manufacturing Plant. We do the Cadillac XT5, XT6, the GMC Acadia, and then the Lyric, which is our EV SUV. 
Well, thank you for, for, for being committed to the Barbenheimer cause and staying in the, in the, in the restaurant parking lot in the middle of Tennessee uh, to have this conversation. Uh, Maya, you're, at, you're in Colorado, right, at your internship? Yes, I'm in beautiful Boulder. Um, I, I did not start at 545 today. Uh, <laughs> did not have as long of a work day as Grace. Um, I actually worked from home because our power went out at work today. Oh, okay. um, yeah, I'm working for Medtronic this summer doing um, doing like project management infrastructure engineering. It's been super fun. And Celine, your summer, where are you right now? What's been going on with you? So I'm at home in Montebello, but every day I go to USC to work in my research lab, just prepping for PhD applications. And I actually went to, I went to Boulder, Colorado this summer and actually saw Maya, which was really fun. Yeah, a little little crossover. (laughs) Can you give us a a one-liner on your research? Nanoparticles. (laughs) Nanoparticles. And fun. And fun. fun. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> that's what's on the name of the of the door when you walk in uh <laughs> welcome to nanoparticles and fun all right so um wow okay so so much to talk about but before i stopped you all from talking to before we got into it but this is also like the taylor swift week in la and celine <laughs> you're going i'm so excited what yes, night? I'm, I'm going on friday so in two days oh my gosh and you showed us earlier but these giant patent leather white heeled boots you have yes. going on correct yes because what I'm, era what era are you going as so i'm going as folklore specifically Mirrorball, mm-hmm. which is like a song on the album um Fantastic. so i have like a silver glitter top and then i have like a disco ball headbands and like disco ball <laughs> earrings <laughs> um and then like these tall white boots and a white skirt so really excited very cool. Now I know Maya is is very salty and very bitter that she's not going, and I'm not trying to rub salt in the wound. But so I'll skip her for a second. But Grace, uh, your stance on Taylor <laughs> Swift? I know Taylor Swift is not in Tennessee right now, and we're all in LA about to go into Taylor Swift week. But what's going on with you and Taylor Swift? I hate to break it to you guys, but I am not a Swifty. I love her music, but I'm not very well versed in the Taylor Swift fandom. I don't know every song by heart. But when she comes on the radio and when my fans play or when my friends play her, I really enjoy her music. So okay. <laughs> awesome. That. Awesome. Well, I'm, uh, a Taylor Swift ally. I'm, I'm oh. with you. I'm with you on that. I mean, like basically Celine said all these words. I knew what each of them were, what they meant. <laughs> I just didn't know what they meant all together. And I was just nodding and agreeing and saying, cool. <laughs> uh, <laughs> fair. It's a lot. It's definitely a lot for people I'm outside sh- of that. I would be very overwhelmed. Like I'm going as folklore, folklore, specifically mirror ball, specifically you said something else. And I'm like, "Uh uh-huh, totally. I love it though. Love it. I'm in on it. I'm on your wavelength, Celine. Thank you. Thank you, Maya. I love it. Like the one thing, and this kind of just, why I like this as a kickoff to Barbenheimer is I, I heard, if you guys know who Kevin Smith is, he's a filmmaker. He made like Clerks and he made, he made a bunch of movies, but he, he's, he's a really influential kind of comic book writer, filmmaker, et cetera. You, if I point him out to you, you, you know who he is, but he was interviewed recently about certain movies and he was basically saying, uh, and I adopt this as, as my own view. Uh, I'm a fan of people being fans. You know, if you're a fan of something that is like so cool, whether I'm a fan of it or not, it doesn't matter, but I just love when people love things. And, mm-hmm. and I think that when we get into this conversation, that's a, that's an important element to understand. Um, and so when someone loves Taylor Swift, I'm not going to be like, Oh, I hate Taylor Swift. Uh, like I, I don't know it that well. I'm getting into it. I'm trying my best. Um, but so yeah, some of these are, these things are interesting. 
Um, and we're going to the show. We're going next Tuesday. I'm excited for it. Um, it'll be my, my daughter's first concert. Uh, and so we're, that's going to be an exciting experience. She, she and my wife have been making, uh, friendship bracelets all day today. Oh, I'm behind on that. I have not started. Oh, you two days away. You better get on it, girl. Like there, <laughs> it is a, it is a thing. And then I will let you know, Celine, um, today, I don't know if you know all this, but you know, the concert starts tomorrow, right? There's how many, six, six shows. Mm-hmm. Um, but today they opened up the merch tent. I saw that the lines. Were I was insane. there. I was <laughs> there today. I went there today. We went there. My wife's like, Hey, they're opening up the merch tent a day early. Maybe we'll go check it out. And then we both kind of looked at each other like, is that a good idea? Um, and we went like, well, we'll go see. It was just what it's like. And then on on the way there, cause it opens at 10 on the way there. They're like, uh, we, we realized, Oh, uh, the, the parking lot opened at eight. And it's 945. And I'm like, well, we'll see what happens. We get there. The parking lot is packed <laughs> at 945. This thing snaked around like there's the opening of SoFi, like the big SoFi. There's the lake. And it went back across the entire lake, zigzag six times, and then back around the lake again. And we're like, what is going on? <laughs> so we get into line just to see what's up. People have like camping chairs, gallons of water, umbrellas, and we're just like standing there. And yeah. uh, the first thing that happened was my daughter was wearing one of her friendship bracelets. So the woman behind us walked up and said, oh, it was like a friendship bracelet. And they immediately traded. And so my daughter's super excited. She's already got a first trade. Mm-hmm. Um, we stayed for about five minutes, took some pictures of like what was going on and walked out of there. Because I was like, there's no <laughs> way we're going to be yeah, in this I- line. I'm a Taylor Swift fan, but I'm like, I can order it online and I know it will get here in like October, but I don't so want it. That's the thing. Online. We're like, okay, great. Well, you know what? I'm going to order online. We go online. It all looks great. Click, 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 buy. And on buy, it's like, it'll be there in October. I'm like, what? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's insane. It's insane. They need some, they need some industrial engineering right there. Supply chain. <laughs> and Following up on our previous episode, a big shout out to uh, Lissa, because she reached out to me and is uh, mailing my daughter some of the friendship bracelets she made. Uh, we saw that on the last podcast. And so That's she's mailing so some of her because she did like these woven ones rather than like beads. And mm-hmm. so she's going to be sending those tomorrow. So shout out to Lissa and thank you for all of the stuff that she's been doing. So she's sending some some of those over. So. All right, T Swift, we're in. And Grace, I'm sorry we talked about it. I'm sorry we wasted your time. Maya, no I'm sorry, I'm sorry you're salty. It's super cool. It's fun. It'll be fun. Uh, okay, so Oppenheimer, Barbie. Uh, weird that these things, I think they go together, which I think is important to understand. I think that's kind of my one stance I want to get at. Um, but in order, let's just kind of break this down one by one. Let's talk about Oppenheimer first. Um, I want to get your thoughts, your feelings, your impressions, experiences. What was Oppenheimer like to you? What What are the thoughts and the questions you want to go over? Grace, let's start with you. Uh, what What was Oppenheimer to you? Hey, y'all, sorry for the interruption, but I wanted to let you know that we have a number of 
campus visit programs available to you right now. If you want to check out what campus is like, if you want to learn more about the Viterbi School of Engineering, go to viterbi.link slash visit. That's V-I-T-E-R-B-I dot link slash visit, where you can learn about our Viterbi visit experiences that happen on most Mondays, Wednesdays, and Fridays. We have some virtual events that happen on occasional weekdays and occasional Saturdays. Plus, we have some transfer virtual admission sessions where you can learn all about how to get those courses ready for transferring. We want to meet you. We will have lots of opportunities to do it and it's happening all summer long, but get your registration in now at viterbi.link slash visit. Hope to see you soon. For me, I've never experienced a movie so emotionally as when I saw Oppenheimer. I know, Hmm. especially in the scene where he's, you know, addressing his community in New Mexico after. um, Oh my God. Yeah the bomb drops, I started to have a panic attack. Like I had to go step out of the theater and go into the bathroom and run water over my face because I was literally panicking and I've never had a movie make me that emotional before. So I don't know if anyone else experienced the same thing. I mean, I watch horror films and nothing phases me. And this was like a whole different beast. My heart rate went crazy. It was insane. It, that scene in particular was, I mean, like the sound design, the, the way it flashed horror images at you. And it was the looks on his face where it was like, he's supposed to be celebrating, but now he's realized that he's unleashed hell on earth, if that makes any sense. And he's responsible for it. That was oddly having a panic attack and basically made you feel like a panic attack. I hope the filmmakers are listening. Like how successful are they that they made you have a, I mean, that sounds horrible, but they made you have a panic attack. No, I mean, after the movie, I just sat there kind of in silence in my car. Um, I went to see it with my friend from work and we just we just sat just in pure silence and just thought about it and kind of brought ourselves back down to earth because we were both emotional and, you know, upset, crying after the movie and just needed to take some time. And I have never had that happen to me before. So it's just totally an out of body experience. Now, Maya, I know you haven't seen it yet. You're the one on the panel that hasn't seen it. So I'm kind of, I'm skipping you for our listeners to, for your reaction. Yeah. But Celine, what do you, same, different? Yeah. I mean, I, when I was watching that scene, I just couldn't help but feel like disturbed when everyone was like clapping about like this horrific bombing that had just happened. Um, but the one scene that really stuck out to me and that I remembered after watching the movie was when they were first testing the bomb, like for the very first time. And I expected this giant explosion yeah and i was like bracing myself i was like in my seat like with my friend my sister and i was like waiting for that explosion sound it was just silence it just hangs there i think yeah but i thought that was like the perfect choice because i felt like that silence felt a lot louder than like just an immediate explosion that you would be expecting um and 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 more accurate as far as the physics go like the idea of like that sounds not going to hit you for a bit Mm -hmm. and it was just like was silent. I don't know for how long, but it felt like forever until it like, did. like <laughs> released the big boom. Yeah, it did. I have to to both your points on both of these scenes: the Trinity test and that like Pepper Alley thing. I have never felt the movie more than this movie. If that makes any sense, like every single scene in this movie. So ostensibly, it's nothing but three plus hours of people in rooms talking at each other. Like that's what this movie is. It's just people in rooms talking. That's all it is with one explosion in the middle. And then it's back to rooms talking because uh, there's the political intrigue. 
and the timeline jumps and, uh, you know, all the different perspective things, which from a filmmaking perspective is fascinating, like what's black and white, what's in color, uh, what do you hear, what do you not hear, uh, the lack of CGI, there's no CGI in this movie, which is a fascinating fact that I found intriguing. I don't know if you guys have known that, but they filmed everything practically, even those atomic sequences to like show the atom splitting in the beginning and all those elements, they did all of that with light and perspective and just showing cool stuff that the explosion was real and they're not telling you how they did it. Um, but the sound design and all those visuals and how they cut and cut Chris cut between all those things, even though it was somewhat boring dialogue, if that makes any sense on, on the page, it, you didn't move. Like you sat down and you got kind of drilled into your seat by all of the tension, by all of the stress, by all the pressure, by all the emotions and the feelings. And to your point, Grace, I had heard about this before going into the movie that everyone kind of watches the movie and then they kind of say like, I need some time. Like I need some time to think about it. I don't know what I'm feeling. I want to talk about it with people, but not right now. And um, I knew that was how I would feel. But I, what I realized is I got up, my wife and I stood up and we're leaving the theater. And I, I didn't notice it till I got about halfway out the theater is that I kind of looked up at the the rest of the theater and I realized no one's moving. Like at the end of a movie, people get up and they just leave. And usually it's like the awkwardness of who you, who goes down the stairs and when you let them into your, like all that element, <laughs> but no one was leaving because we were in these odd seats that we bought them last minute. So we got like the weird, I didn't have great seats, but like I could see everybody and they were just kind of sitting there and they didn't know what to do and they didn't know how to deal with it. And, and it was, they're just stunned. It, it, the movie is stunning. And I think that used, that word is used over, over way too much, but it's stunning. It is groundbreaking. It's a masterpiece. It's got dialogue that is like, sharp confusing and interesting it's got emotions that are crazy it's a storyline that's real but it is horrible and then to to get from this perspective which is what i want to get to as engineers who you all are in this growing phase where you all have done some level of work and some level of production you're at the end if not close to the end of your undergraduate years about to go into work where you will be if not already designing technology that will have an impact on society and what we talk about at the school all the time engineering a better world for humanity engineering society program mindset of social consciousness net positive impact on society engineering ethics philosophy and innovation and unintended consequences of technology all of those words that we talk about all the time are in this movie did, did, did you start connecting your lives and your profession and the stuff that you do to all of that panic attack that Oppenheimer was having in the realized in that's the realization? exactly where my mind went not to not to jump yeah. right no, in please, but that, that's exactly what I was thinking and we take ethics our junior year at USC and I think to me this movie proved the importance of ethics being intertwined in our education from our freshman year all the way to our graduation and really, I mean, I think this could be taught. This movie could be watched and analyzed in an ethics course. And I think it's something that needs to be prevalent from our first day at USC and with all of the companies that USC students end up working with. I think this dialogue is very important to be having much, much earlier in our educational careers instead of waiting all the way until our junior year. And that's something that I really sat with after I finished the film. Do you all think that let, let, so 
ethics is always a really interesting conversation because you you analyze for the most part you analyze case studies in the past would you have done something different you know if you look at oppenheimer but do you actually think that anyone would have done anything different given the stress and the pressure and everything that was going on in the context of that race mm-hmm. of world war ii yeah I so during During the movie, I was just thinking, like, you have this really smart, capable person and surrounded by really smart people. And throughout the whole time, I was like, how can you make something that's so deadly that can, like, destroy many lives? But I also was not, like, in that context. But I just, like, couldn't help but think, like, why would you even put yourself in that situation? But a lot of times during the movie when Oppenheimer was talking, like, he seemed like very objective about everything like this is like for science and like for like the race in general like to be i don't know they were trying to like beat the nazis um, beat the nazis yeah because the, yeah, so the germans like, had already split the atom yeah so that was like that's scary to think about like in that time so it's like okay we have to beat them but then there was a point and a shift where it's like oh like they're actually not building an atomic bomb anymore but then they just kept going and that just like was really interesting to me but he, he just seemed like he wanted to get the job done at that point that's that's the fascinating element related to ethics in regards to engineering and science is that a lot of scientists it, it this is a blatant uh simplification but scientists and engineers tend to try to think of things purely objectively like it doesn't matter what's going on but as a result of that i think there's blinders on to the rest of everything else that's going on which is should we be doing this? Um, and granted, at the time and the day, lack of information, partial information, World War II, um, you know, would anybody do any different? Now, the real question is, what would we do now? But, you know, we deal with our peers, our our, our alumni that go off and, and, and other engineering schools as well that go off and make weapons, you know? You work for Lockheed Martin, you might be making a weapon. Yeah, I know. Um, even in the Society of Women Engineers, like that was that was a big question that some people had raised. Like, um, depending on which companies were donating money, like some people were very anti that, like taking money from a defense company. And um, I don't know. It's just it's a really interesting spot to be in, like as um, as a student. Because the other side of that coin is, and this is the point of Oppenheimer in the movie is you can be morally against let's say a weapons corporation or morally against the the advancement or the creation of an atomic bomb but what if someone else is going to make it mm. and so that that's the interesting ethical dilemma grace i mean like the idea of ethics and these conversations really never having the right answer how does that enter into a practical conversation related to ethics well, I think that was another one of my favorite parts in the film is when I know Oppenheimer and one of the other engineers are watching the two bombs leave in the back of these two essentially pickup trucks, these bombs that are going to do yeah. catastrophic damage. And they're kind of pondering whether or not Japan would surrender if they knew the impact one of these bombs would potentially have on one of their cities. And just that constant going back and forth and, you know, well, they completed their job and someone was going to do it eventually as opposed to, well, but what if they knew the damage that it was going to cost? And it's difficult. And that's why I think it is important for an ethical discussion and 
just thinking about these questions, especially for students that are going to go on and do defense work so that they can have this inner dialogue when they're making decisions. Well, I mean, let's not also simplify it to just defense work. And that's my fault because I took it there, there. But I mean, like this. this oh, is definitely. An, this, this for is the EV industry. This, this, is, this is an easy parallel to artificial intelligence. Hey, everyone, this is Paul. Sorry for the interruption, but I wanted to let you know about a new feature we just unlocked. It's about sending us questions or comments via text. If you go to your podcast player, check the show notes. There's a link there that says, send us a question or comment. It may be on our next episode. So go in there, send us a little quick text message. Let us know what your questions are. Let us know what your comments are. We'd love to hear from you. So we can't wait to see it. Now back to the episode. Oh, definitely. To, to anything, the sourcing of lithium batteries right now is very mm. unsustainable. There's a lot of ethical discussions that could be had there. I mean, this this applies to any engineering industry that anyone could go into. I totally agree with you. It shouldn't be. I mean, obviously, this movie glaringly highlights defense, but it, it shouldn't be limited there. It, it's everywhere. Yeah. I'll, I'll give you another example that's seemingly innocuous. Uh, PepsiCo. PepsiCo and sustainable agricultural and development around the world. Um, and you want to get really micro on it. It's about sustainable and supportive uh, micro agricultural development for potato farmers around the world. Basically, all the potato chips that we eat from Frito-Lay, which is owned by PepsiCo, uh, a really good friend of mine, works in that field, works for PepsiCo. And it's all about trying to figure out how to create these pipelines that are not abusive and erosive and uh, that are thinking about sustainability from the from the world and the landscape kind of perspective, but also from the idea of supporting these smaller developing nations and the people inside of them because they're just growing potatoes. Definitely. It also brings up the issue of agriculture in the Midwest and the soybean and corn industry and how fertilizer affects the Mississippi River and has eventually created a dead zone in the Gulf of oh, Mexico. Yeah. And these are chemical companies that develop these fertilizers. So an engineer could end up working on one of these developments yeah. and could have contributed to that. And it's a discussion that needs to be had. Yeah. Um, and, and I've, I've said a few times in some recent presentations that engineering ethics is something that is not necessarily traditionally taught at engineering schools. And that's why I think it's something that we have to keep bringing to the forefront. And while there is not a good answer to these questions, it is about teaching your generation that the questions should be asked, they should be discussed, they should be brought up. And, and it's about the most innocuous things. I mean, Celine, we 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 put like this really simple concept related to nanoparticles. And we put that name on your research earlier, nanoparticles and fun. But can you <laughs> can you explore with me without going too deep or getting in trouble with saying too much about your own research, which sometimes you're not allowed to talk about? Um but can you talk about unintended consequences of the research you're doing now, where this might go down the road? Have you ever thought of it? Hmm. I'm putting I think you on the spot. <laughs> um, so the research I'm doing right now is trying to use nanoparticles in order to, let's say if you have like a tissue sample from a cancer patient, being able to use nanoparticles to identify like what type of immune cells are in their system to use immunotherapy in order to treat them better but mm. i haven't really thought down the line of 
what that looks like in like clinical trials or what that looks like once you're it's developed by like a biotech company. But I know that there are a lot of issues with once you have this medicine or therapeutic strategy developed, that's really expensive and not a lot of people can afford that um, once it gets into the hands of different companies. So that's potentially something maybe not being accessible to everybody. Um, but that's the gist of what we're trying to do. It could also, it's a slippery slope argument, but it could also go down the road of like cosmetic geneticists, like the ideas of like understanding where your genes are going and therefore as a result, doing this preventative stuff to prevent your gray hair in the future. Or then the ideas of like, it gets really down the road, which I know is not necessarily related to what you're doing, but a lot of people talk about like designer babies, like the ideas of like- picking out the dna that you want i mean we get we go then we all this is the best part about movies is we we look to the arts we look to the arts because the arts are discussing these things time in and time out because you go back and look at gattaca which is that's what gattaca was all about have you guys ever seen gattaca uh-uh. oh no. new homework assignment okay <laughs> it is uh how do you spell that gattaca g-a-t-t-a-c-a um you all read brave new world in high school correct no. Nope. Oh my God. You never read Brave New World. Okay. <laughs> you have a lot of different homework assignments now. One, you got to go read Brave New World. Two, supplement sidebar to this. Given that we're talking about World War II, you might want to go read Animal Farm. If you haven't, you read Animal Farm? Yes. Okay. Yep. So, I read Animal Farm. Okay. So Animal Farm, okay, that, that, that creates kind of the geopolitics of, of what's going on in World War II. Especially as this What's funny is really funny, interesting to think about. It's like, you have to remember, like, when were the Soviets our friends versus when were they their enemies, like back in Oppenheimer? Like, that was the interesting political dynamic of, like, when we're fighting the Nazis, the Soviets were our allies. And then it turns into the Cold War right after that. And what's interesting is I never knew that it was a direct result, seemingly a direct result of this kind of secret knowledge related to atomic bombs, and then eventually the H-bomb, which I didn't know before. That was kind of, I don't know if you guys knew that, but that was, that was like fascinating to me. Anyways, mm-hmm. go watch, I'm sorry, go read. Brave New World. Gattaca is a movie with Ethan Hawke and Uma Thurman. A little trivia. This is where they met. They got married. They had a kid. Oh. Their daughter is oh, now. Interesting. What's her last? What's her name? You've seen her daughter. Maya? You've seen their da- Maya Hawke. Yes. They, that's their daughter from this movie. <laughs> so, oh, interesting. So go see Gattaca. And it's all about the idea of like what we just talked about, like designer geneticists and designer babies and like what you get picked for to do, um, which in a kind of a future world of like what technology can do to us down the road, which seemingly creates nothing but beautiful people. But what are the ramifications of nothing but beautiful people and what's underneath all that information? So go watch that. That's fascinating. But we look to the arts. We look to the arts for inspiration. We look to the arts for critical analysis. And uh, sometimes hopefully hopefully, holding up a mirror back at stuff like this, you know, nuclear development, nuclear fission versus fusion, uh, and all the stuff that's happening. Um, another side note that I'm super interested about is I had no idea that these huge names in physics and science in general all knew each other. Like Neil, when I saw Albert Einstein on the screen, like yeah. with Oppenheimer, I was like, "Wait, <laughs> this is." And they've known each other for a long crazy. time. Yeah. Niels Bohr, Heisenberg, uh, Oppenheimer, Einstein. I mean, and then some of the names that were on the team, I 
honestly didn't know, but I'm like, I think I've heard them before, but I didn't know they all knew each other around the world. And the fact that Oppenheimer, well, let's talk also about the fact that his name was Oppie. He went by Oppie. Yep. How cool was that? I was going to say, that's like my freshman and sophomore year of college right there. All those names. Yeah. Like every every science class I had to take is covered. Yeah. Everything in the physics book. Like it, it's just, it's in this movie and they're the real life people and they were talking to each other. Yeah, it it was kind of weird because I'm like, oh, they're all kind of like friends in a way, like coworkers. It's just really interesting to think about. Which which also to your point earlier, Celine, about scientists viewing things objectively, like there's no emotion involved. That objective relationship um didn't have political or geo geopolitical boundaries, right? So the idea that they were in Germany and they were here and they were there, they were everywhere because that's where the science was being captured and shared around the world. Mm-hmm. Interesting. This is really so lo- interesting hearing you all talk about Oppenheimer. Like, I was planning to see it anyways, but um, it's even this discussion is like totally different than like the videos that I've seen or like I don't know what I assumed it would be. Oh, it's a must must watch. It's it's one of those things where like you're gonna want to watch it again. Like it doesn't make you feel good, but it doesn't make you feel bad. It just makes you constantly think. Yeah, um, and I feel it, like it's something that I didn't really think about before necessarily. No. And just like after the movie, I felt like slightly like in danger. Like these things are out there, and like someone can just press a button anytime. And I don't know. That was just like really scary thought but also really necessary for us to have these conversations totally right imagine how scary everything we just saw was and that was 80 years ago yeah so how scary is everything now exactly that's that was like the main thing on my mind after the movie i'm like i am living in 2023 like this is completely different and like even scarier now and i think anytime and that's i think it's one of the best parts about having some sort of a whether you call it a historical drama or whatever you want to get into with this movie. Um, when you, when you view it through the lens of today, all you can do is draw parallels to stuff that's happening today and conversations related to artificial intelligence are the, are, are the low hanging fruit related to this. Unlike intention, unintended consequences, what's it going to do? There are horror stories in, in, in media about, you know, Skynet or anything else that might happen, but, who knows what these things can do down the road left unchecked. So that's, I think that's, what's really fascinating to me about this is that hopefully people in positions of power, people like you all that are about to go into positions of power are asking those questions and moving through. Uh, Another point that I'm, I'm super curious for you all to, whether you, whether you saw this or just to think about it now is that there were these two perspectives on, um, on the Los Alamos kind of team, right? As they were building it out. And there was Oppenheimer's objective science thing that we just talked about, right? No boundaries, sharing of information, objective analysis. It's all for the science. It's only for the science and for the progression of ideas. And then there was the military involvement and their rules were all about secrecy and compartmentalization uh, because compartmentalization would hold things in and keep things safe as a result of that. I'm curious whether you all have started to understand whether there's parallels to what you do now in your, even we get to like VSA leadership stuff, Maya, 
on a group's tendency to work as hard as they can to organize structure, essentially compartmentalizing things, and as a result of stuff, might be reducing transparency and the sharing of information. And and these two different, you know, uh, uh, ends of the spectrum on organization and teamwork. Uh, how does that affect what you do now, and, and where where do you lie on it? Yeah, I feel like that idea just kind of reminds me of the pandemic in general. It's like at first nobody knew any of anything, but then you have like mm. scientists like trying to figure out like what even is going on, and then you have like the government saying like you can't tell people certain things at a certain time. Just like yeah. that was really prevalent in like 2020, 2021. Um, mm. Just reminded me of that. Totally. Mm. It's very reminiscent of my work on the formula team at USC. The intersection between our electrical engineering team and our mechanical team were so compartmentalized into who's designing the electrical wiring for the battery and who's designing the actual housing for the battery that we forget the intersection between the two. And we have a lot of disconnects. We have one team that's designing with no boundaries because they don't have to think about this electrical system ever being put inside a box. And then we have one team that is only thinking of the box. And then there's not, there's not a lot of intersection between the two. So now we have liaisons between the two teams, but we're still having to do a lot of finagling and reorg to try to get the two teams to work better together. It seems to be everyone's instinct that compartmentalization, which is a, a broad term, and I think people do it in a lot of different ways, but compartmentalization is the first step to efficiency. And I think that's what like everyone's intent is. Like, well, no, you do that and I'll do this and then we'll come together at the end because we will be wasting time with the friction that we'll develop in the middle. Meanwhile, you might be creating a giant log jam at the end because you didn't yeah. communicate along the way. Yeah, it's like it, it, sure. starts with, it starts with delegation and like allocating resources in a way that's the most efficient. But then um, another thing I think, and this might just be myself or people like in my internship, for instance, but like some people like with their own compartment and their own thing, like get very protective over that and like competitive yeah. versus other groups. Like I want to be the one that like, I want my group to succeed. I want my group to be like the one that's known as like, I don't know, like the most successful group. And that can definitely hinder the overall success as a group. But um, I think compartmentalization definitely leads to the feeling like the fracturing of groups and the feeling of like sub factions that um, priorities are definitely not always aligned. I think it's like opening. I think it's like opening Pandora's box when you start to compartmentalize then you get subcommittees and then more subcommittees and then more leaders. And then you have a whole bunch of leaders and not a lot of people working towards the common good or the common goal. And you just lose sight of that. There's no greater mission. There's just your small team's purpose and what you need to fulfill to move on to the next step. And then that also starts to create the meetings about meetings. Yep. (laughs) Which everyone Uh, loves to hate, but they don't realize how they got there. And it starts with these initial steps. Yeah. A good, good, good reminder for I don't know, like going into the school year, going to group projects, but also just like going into the working world, like definitely being aware of compartmentalization and how that can be detrimental. Yeah, like my I, Stacy and I were talking about everyone on everyone's teams and like who's on whose teams and what do we do here? And I'm like, why are we creating teams? Like, yeah, we first we question this- I got to ask yourself. We just had that discussion actually, like in our content leads meeting where we were like, I think this would work better if we're just all aligned and like everybody can step in and work on things when they need to. Yeah. Yeah. And it's a pendulum. I mean, fluidity and flexibility 
rigidness and compartmentalization it's all about understanding the spectrum and it's all about navigating a team where they need to go when they need to go based on whatever the task is at hand in some situations you might lean in one direction and the other situation you lean in the other direction but with engineers in particular what i always notice with almost all of you and your predecessors is that there's this desire to create the boundaries give me my defined workload uh, because then I will know whether I am successful. And that could be just because the sense of quantification of work, a uh, sense of understanding this work compared to other work, because you all are all very busy. But it it leads to that idea of not over what you said, the, 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 the one overarching mission. What are we trying to do here? And that could change as we go. So fluidity and flexibility are, are key. Mm-hmm. Uh, I do want to get to to Barbie, uh, but I want to have any other last because then Maya can totally jump in here. I want her to I want her to drive. Um, but um, last thoughts on Oppenheimer for anyone. What, what do you tell people about it? What were you shocked by? What were, what was exciting to you about it? I think that when people ask me how the movie was, the first thing that they mention is that it's three hours long. Um, it doesn't feel like it it doesn't feel like it like after the movie was over i was like wait that's it like (laughs) that was three hours like i think that's what stuck with me the most is how well done the movie was where it didn't feel like i was sitting there for three hours just because i felt like i was like in the moment in the movie i think what i'm left with is you say you know you only see one explosion in the movie but i felt like i was feeling eight explosions throughout Mm. the three-hour duration of the movie. I felt like it was explosion after explosion, whether it was the way that they framed certain dialogue, the lighting and sound that was added to dialogue. You are, you're feeling the entire story play out. And I think it's important to let it take you for a ride and allow yourself to feel it because I feel like that's how you learn and grow as a person. And I feel like that's important to that ethics dialogue that we were having earlier too. You're dead on. Uh, I, when I'm asked about the movie, I'm like, the, my first response is you just have to see it because there's nothing I can do to explain to you as to how good it is. It is immersive in the most, uh, detailed version of that word. It is, it is immersive. You sit down, the movie starts, you don't move. Like I, you just don't move. You get kind of drilled into your seat. And what's weird about it is because it's dialogue and sound design and, the the story is like you're trying to keep up with it because it's going so fast uh and and the last thing that i think i'm i'm so intrigued by is some of the uses of metaphor and and particularly visuals uh and how the movie opened the movie opened with raindrops on water to show ripple effects one little thing the ripple effect that moves all the way through and it just keeps going and getting bigger 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 and then their overall concern in the movie of igniting the atmosphere on fire and destroying the entire world, changing the entire world forever because of some sort of mistake they made. And then he actually realizing it in that pep rally that that's what they did. And, and it wasn't so much igniting the atmosphere and fire and burning everybody, but it's that they just changed everything and has now set the world on a completely different trajectory and the ripple effects of those conversations in that one physics hall, in that one time period, go all the way into this other thing and they all the different interactions in between 
it's just, it's just, yeah. You start looking at your life. Like, what do I do? How do I do these things? What, what mistakes have I made? Like, how do I move forward and, and make sure that, you know, I'm aware of these elements down the road. It's, it's a, it's a deep movie. I can't wait to see how well it continues to do and how more people will be able to see it. But what seems like is going to be a giant whiplash. Hi, Barbie. <laughs> I was just, I was just going to say how in like, Hi, Barbie. I was going to say, like, how in, like, in, I don't know, less than a minute of time, how can you frame, like, the differences and the shift between Oppenheimer and Barbie? I, 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 haven't, I haven't seen both, so this is the question for you guys. Did anyone see them in the same day? I didn't see them in the same day, and I no. wish I would have. I don't, I don't know. That's the experience. I was told beforehand see barbie first then oppenheimer mm. and i think that's as a result that's of what i leave... did okay because when you leave oppenheimer you're like whoa existential crisis even though barbie is about an existential crisis <laughs> when that's why our... i think they're connected this is our pivot My existential crisis. barbie is they had physicist Barbie and they had astronaut Barbie. I don't know if you guys know this, but I had her. There was an engineer Barbie. And I was really hoping that engineer Barbie would have made oh. an appearance and she didn't. And I was really sad about that. We need to take issue with that. This is this is one of my larger issues. I used to actually give presentations <laughs> on this. And now I might work this back in because now it's relevant. Um I, I used to give presentations about like, how do you know you want to be an engineer? And I would go, I have these old slides and I'll maybe I'll dig them back up again and start giving this presentation again. Because if you go Google the word engineer and you look at image search, have you guys ever done this? No, but you I'm actually, actually, if you, if you do it and I haven't done it in a while, but I'm sure it hasn't changed. The image search results are a bunch of white males wearing construction hats, holding like plans. That is, is that what oh you're seeing gosh. right now? That is right. That's exactly what this is. Yeah. Oh, there's there's a nope. That's a man. Never mind. There's a couple look women. At engineer Barbie. She has a little pink laptop and glasses. I'm totally down. Uh, my 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 larger point here is that no one knows what an engineer is, even though the majority of things that are happening in the world are done Precisely. by engineers. People people understand the word scientist. They don't understand the word engineer. They understand the word researcher. They don't understand the word engineer. And people on the news will talk about like researchers have developed, scientists have developed. And usually the people they're talking to, like they have engineering backgrounds or it's a company that's an engineering company. Like these are the things that happen. When you look at um, the other parallel I would come up with is, so if you do image search for that, you get this construction worker person, which is weird, like a like a construction manager person, which definitely involves engineer, but it's such a limited scope. If you Google lawyer image search on lawyer you get this incredibly diverse group of people doing all sorts of things they're highly attractive they're like super involved in like books and they're very powerful and everything else if you google image search doctor same idea different scopes of everything and so you have these well-known kind of visual representations of profession uh then you go to do you guys ever play when you were kids uh the game of life mm -hmm. yes i loved life right is there an engineer job no, no. In doctor was doctor was sixty what I something to be. years of this. The highest paying profession has been doctor and lawyer, and 
the closest they got to it was in the most recent version of the game of life. They created a profession thinking they were hip with the times. They created web designer as a, which is not engineering at all. You all know this. And so like, that was the hip new thing is like hairstylist, web designer, they still kept doctor lawyer. So as a result of that, if you're a kid and you're interested in STEM, math, science stuff, and you're looking at future possibilities of what you want to do in the life, Dr. Lawyer makes so much more sense. Barbie's another great example of this. And maybe they had an engineer Barbie, but maybe it didn't make sense in the world. People didn't understand what it was. Maybe that's why they didn't put it in the movie. What is engineer Barbie? It could have made sense though. I mean, as today, a mechanical engineer, I love the automotive industry. They're featuring all these beautiful vehicles that are going to hit market very soon or have already hit market. And getting to work for the company that produces these vehicles, it would have been great to see an engineer, Barbie, and see I, her facing with, with the. Yeah, I'm I'm 100 yeah, sure. with you. I think I think the hard part is though, like that's my point of like, to the layman, you just described car designer Barbie. You didn't describe engineer Barbie. There's a disconnect in society mm-hmm. about the word engineer and what an engineer does, mostly because even just on this panel, you're all individual definitions of engineering and your professions in which you're going into the field. They're totally Mm -hmm. different. Yep. So, I mean, this is a great thing to kick off, like engineering and, and, and women and identity and what, what are, what are we dealing with in society? And Barbie was similar to Oppenheimer is a fantastic mirror back to us as to what we're dealing with and the fascinating conversations that were happening as a result of essentially an existential crisis of a, of a middle-aged woman that was the key protagonist of this movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah. This, so what you're context. saying is Engineer Barbie could be the Barbie of all Barbies. Yes. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yeah. For context, I don't know about you, Celine, Grace, and Paul. I don't know about your daughter, but for me, I personally, I loved Barbie growing up. Um, was like so such a big fan. Um, and like even even with the identity, like honestly, even as a brunette, like my Barbies were normally blonde. And I was like, right. Okay, okay, fine. Like we'll still play with them. Um but yeah, and I it really hit home with um her daughter and just the discourse around like um around how Barbie was portrayed and how that could be like toxic to women. Cause I think I went through that. Uh, that phase as well where I was like oh like Barbie is like oh all women are supposed to be that way and then I think as I was growing up I saw Barbie start to become more and more representative of uh, all different kinds of people Uh, but I definitely think like starting to play with Barbies I had that mindset of that Mm. of that daughter like Barbie is just pushing like away from me fascist yeah (laughs) (laughs) I, I, I had a had an lol moment in the movie theater for that one but yeah, I, I don't know, Celine, Grace, do you guys have any similar thoughts with Barbie? Um, yeah, so I originally like had that same idea, but in the like very first scene of the movie when they're showing like all the little girls playing with like babies and like playing like mom or like mm. house, like that idea, I didn't realize that like having Barbie kind of like changed that idea. Like you don't have to be taking care of a child like with your doll like as a five-year-old like you can have an adult like doll that you can play with that like has her own life and like her own car and like her own brand like I didn't realize like how cool that was and like how Barbie shifted that narrative so that was a really good intro um to the movie just thinking about that 
I, I totally think that's a big part of this. And this gets to the main paradox of the movie, but I know Grace, you have to get out of here and I know you've got a drive home. Dude, is there anything else you want to say before you tap out of this related to Barbie or the Barbenheimer crossover? I'll leave it on a lighthearted note. The two products that I really appreciated seeing in the Barbie movie, I had pooping dog Barbie, and it was my favorite. I love, <laughs> I loved playing with it. So I love seeing that. And I think everyone can agree that they had at least one weird Barbie. And I loved oh, yeah. Kate McKinnon's character because I think we all resonated with it. I had a Barbie that unfortunately I cut all her hair off and tried to dye her. So I thought that that was awesome. And I think it just is something that ties us all together and brings us that much closer to the story and the narrative that they're trying to tell. So thank you guys so much for having me on the podcast. I hope to be on many, many more and talk about <laughs> my experiences over the summer with you guys. Um, but thank you all. Yeah. Thank Absolutely. you, Grace. Thanks, Grace. So uh, I so far agreed with everything that's going on. What was really interesting is the idea of the paradox, which Celine, you brought up start. I didn't think of it till right now. It starts in that moment where Barbie was a giant social and progressive step forward on identity of women and culture. And yet the whole back to my, your point that a number of women view it as oppressive and this idea of you have to look a certain way to be accepted in society in order to be the quote unquote, beautiful, perfect, successful, whatever it is, woman that's out there. And all Barbie has ever done as an idea, which is like the point of the movie as an idea, not as a person has constantly moved the conversation forward in relationship to women. And, um, that was the paradox that was explained in America Ferreira's USC alum, by the way, uh, America Ferreira's, uh, giant monologue, which was Women are expected to be perfect, but never perfect. They're expected to have everything figured out, but always be asking questions. Uh, all the, I don't remember her speech, but I want to have that speech written out. I want to mm -hmm. read it. It like, was so good. It was amazing. <laughs> yeah. Amazing. As she was talking, I was just like, that is literally just like, just summed it up like so eloquently mm -hmm. and like perfectly. And I think that was like the best thing about the Barbie movie is that I just feel like it was like, representative of so many people like on the screen and was just able to like articulate that experience um in a really fun way like it was such a cool movie such a great movie such a great mm -hmm. movie and and just that idea of the marketing campaign the marketing campaign i want to touch on was fascinating because mm -hmm. one of the ads that resonated with me was if you love barbie you'll like this movie and if you hate barbie you'll like this movie which actually got to that core of that paradox mm -hmm. which was how you view barbie is really interesting and let's talk about it because it's actually how you view women in society. Yeah. And like, even with the different perspectives from the, from the mother to the daughter to even like Ken throughout the movie, like I think it, it really did touch on almost what everyone's thoughts of Barbie are. Yep. Yeah. Which um, was definitely, yeah, definitely. I think that makes that a universally interesting movie. Like it maybe is. it's not everybody's favorite movie, but everybody has to admit, like, it's interesting. It holds your attention. I, I personally love it. But um, yeah, what do you guys, what do you Go think ahead. about the hate and the people who don't like the Barbie? That's movie? where I was going. I'm glad we're on the same page. <laughs> I was going to ask you whether anyone in your circles has expressed anything other than love for Barbie. 
No, but I've seen TikToks where it's like people are like, oh, if you take like your boyfriend or like your husband to Barbie and like they say they don't like it, like it's a red flag. <laughs> Those it is are, a like, red flag. Yeah. TikToks that I've seen on that. So I think that it's really funny just thinking about people's reactions to that. And I feel like maybe people who like automatically just like diss it and don't like it. Um, I even saw a TikTok of like a guy just like scrolling through his phone like during the movie. Um, I just feel like it's not like you're not open to like that conversation or like the yeah. perspective that the movie offers. What what makes it a red flag, Paul? In your opinion? <laughs> a lot of things. Um <laughs> so there's so much things that I I don't wanna I don't wanna uh, I don't want to support and and, and give time to a lot of the hate that's out there about this movie. Mm-hmm. I do want to highlight that it is a small fraction of people that are getting amplified in mm-hmm. TikTok and other realms. There's 45 minute YouTube rants on how it's anti-men. <laughs> um, and I'm like, I think it's okay. Even if it was anti-men, which it's not, even if it was anti-men, there's plenty of things that have been anti-women throughout centuries i'm pretty sure we can balance it out a little bit more these days um like hey it's fine um lots of thoughts i'm trying to figure out how to like encapsulate them succinctly um if someone goes into this and thinks that it's bad it is a red flag because that means they have in my opinion i believe that they have an inherent belief structure that means that women shouldn't be thinking any of these thoughts. And if someone thinks it's bad, it's actually proving the point of the movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I, I saw, I heard, I heard about that. Um, I've heard that point before and that one really resonated. <laughs> right. It's like, it's like, yeah, that's what it's about. Like the fact that this exists in real life. I mean, we this is where the parallels keep coming back to Oppenheimer in a weird way. We talked about unintended consequences of technology related to Oppenheimer, but this is about social structure and the intended or otherwise unintended consequences of where we are and how we view people's gender roles. Um, and as a result of which create toxic environments in workplaces or otherwise. Um, I mean, there's, there's the common tropes that you're all are very aware of, especially in a field such as engineering, which is male dominated around the world. Now it's not at USC, but it is everywhere else in every other circle that you're in. And so you, you get this idea of like, are you the quote annoying girl that keeps talking? Right. I mean, like that's again, not my perspective, but like that, that type of term and there's worse terms to be described that way. Whereas a man who's assertive and, and as a cephalo, then he's strong and a leader, but that's someone mm-hmm. that's incredibly negative as a woman. Like these, these paradoxes exist in, in our social structure. And in this movie, all it did was call it out. And my favorite line that I've used ever since I saw this movie is ever since I learned the patriarchy wasn't about horses, I kind of just lost interest. Like it was just one of the funniest <laughs> things in the world because he thought he was getting some sort of power, but really what we are as men and what I see in young boys is we're just a bunch of dumb idiots. We're a bunch of dumb idiots that have been put into a social structure that says we're in charge. And that's not the case. And, and you can look at it historically or anthropologically and look at uh, matriarchy driven societies uh, typically Native American societies and and a lot of other Latin American societies are all matriarchal driven. 
And as a result of that, end up having stronger uh, composures of family and then moving forward in any type of patriarchy led, led decision historically has always led to conquering and dismantling. And whether that's Rome or whether that's Napoleon and whether it's Alexander or anything else, it doesn't go well. Uh, and then we go back to compartmentalization, secrecy, privacy, and transparency and objectively and work, working together. And you can start to see male roles, female roles, it all starts coming together, which is just super fascinating to me. Yeah, I I just, I'm thinking of this now, but like the part where like the, the like male dominated, like when Barbie is still dominated by like all the Kens and the Barbies are all like, oh, like this is nice, but they're not talking to each other. But as soon no. as they begin to have these conversations with each other and they hear America Ferreira voice, like their their thoughts and the reality, then they snap out of it. So um, in a way, I think that's an interesting commentary on like when we all begin to like have these conversations and be vulnerable and open and transparent with each other. Like that's when the real progress is made and we're more powerful as a group. Yeah. And I feel like that's where the Barbie movie comes in too, because it's like providing this like voice and this experience and like showing like, Hey, like this is something that a lot of people besides you go through and experience and then opens up like these dialogues, which I think is really important. And I think that's ultimately the beauty of the Barbie movie or the, the idea of Barbie. And I didn't know that because I, I, you know, I don't have a lot of exposure to the Barbie IP, uh, in, in my world. Um, <laughs> nor have I ever, I mean, I know it exists, but I, I have the same kind of superficial pink girliness, right? Like that's kind of like, that's what Barbies do. And, and there were many conversations when my daughter was younger, um, about the pink aisle at the toy store or at the toy, like, I don't know if you guys have ever seen this. And that, that's the whole inspiration for, it's a Stanford female engineering grad who started, oh my God, I'm going to forget the name of this. I started this conversation. I forgot it. Do you all know this? No. Oh, God. It's like a studying she, color. She started a toy line for girls that are all about, it's all about engineering. And Goldie Blocks. Goldie Blocks. Thank yeah. you. And <laughs> We jumped in on it at USC. There was one year where we bought a ton of Goldilocks boxes and we mailed them to every single admitted female student to the school. Aww. And my, I loved my idea. I like, I liked it a lot because of my idea. But um, we mailed out Goldilocks boxes to every admitted female student this one year. And we, I, I sent a letter and I said, the first thing I said is, "Congratulations on your admission. This is not for you. Your job is to take this and give it to a younger girl and play with it." and see what happens and like pass it on. Like you've gotten here, you're interested in engineering, you're going to keep going, but you start sharing the love. You start getting it out there. Goldie blocks, their whole mission. And you can go back and find these things in their line is that they're basically uh, down to get rid of the pink aisle, but they mm -hmm. use the way that young girls learned to get them excited about technology, building blocks, et cetera. And so they always had a story in every book or in every toy set. So you'd read the story and then you start to build the things and then you'd follow the instructions and then you'd be told, okay, now just build whatever you want. There's different ideas for it. So it kind of takes that like Lego brick mentality, but also to a story and a narrative. And it was also around this one character named Goldie Blocks. And she had her whole storyline because girls like to read the, like the stories, like the narrative concept where boys were just like, build, build, build. I don't care. Yeah. And 
I don't know where I was going. With this. Oh, so there's so much discussion with with my wife and I and and some of our friends about like what we do with toys and what toys we give her. And like I've always been a pusher of Lego. Like just keep giving her Lego, and God loving, she loves it. Um, but what happens after that? And Barbie was that thing. Like, do we give Barbies? And there was a huge conversation. Like, what message are we sending? And and I really wish this movie came out earlier because you start to understand that that was the, that was the paradox of like they kept pushing the agenda they kept moving forward with these identities for women that we should have been aware of but we were just thinking about pink plastic girls and girliness and the 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 fun fact that Ken has always been an accessory he's never been a character uh he's always just been on the side that sells whole big things like it's Barbie's dream house Ken's name is not on the uh, on the deed like it's it's barbie's house it's barbie's car it's barbie like she has her own world she has her own life and the perspective of the dolls in the movie was that they had changed the world right so aren't they going to thank us for for changing the world and making everything mm-hmm. better and then the view of the daughter like get away from me fascist is is not that and so that's a, a really cool ethical discussion about what has happened with pop culture intentions of pop culture, unintended consequences of pop culture, and then what we're doing with it on our own, whether it was meant to be that way or not. And I, it's just the, that's what's so cool about, again, this, I keep saying this over and over again, but like, there's not an answer to this. It's just a lot of really cool thoughts that make you think about this stuff as you move forward. And when I went to see this with my daughter and my wife, walking away and talking about it with them, uh, found out my daughter had a completely different takeaway from this movie. And I think as she gets older, some of these things are going to start to come in mm-hmm. and that's fine. She viewed it as dolls, magical world, real life, hijinks solution. It's fine. She enjoyed it. She loved it. Um, talking with other parents in the week, like seeing other parents are like, Oh, you, you let her see Barbie. Is that appropriate? It's the main conversation right now. Is this mm-hmm. appropriate? This, I'm like, and every time I, I start becoming a real, <laughs> I, I, I become a certain person when that happens to me, but I'm like, are you kidding me? Like, what are you worried about? And I remember one guy going, well, I heard there's, there's jokes about boobs. I'm like, <laughs> well, first off, there's one and it's actually the intent of it is not to be a, a derogatory joke. It's actually to show how dumb something was. And it wasn't about that at all. But it it is completely appropriate. And they're like, well, they're going to get it. I'm like, it's not innuendo. Like, it's actually just some really deep existential thought and philosophy related to societal structure that they're not getting, which is fine. But you know what? I want them to know the movie because that's going to grow in them over time where they're going to realize that it's not abnormal or different or special to be an engineer or to be an astronaut or to be a Supreme Court uh, judge like those are these are just the things the norms and we need to reestablish those norms or we need to push those new norms through the arts and let the mirrors kind of pu- push back on us as a society so it's just there's a lot of thoughts but i this movie just like i said i, I keep thinking about it i keep talking about it yeah gosh can you guys imagine if like there was a society that functioned the way barbie thought when she first went to the real world and was right. like and was like, oh, like where, where's the where's the president? Like seeing a guy there is like the the immediate thought process is like, no way this could be a man. Uh, mm-hmm. Which is like, it was a very visceral reminder that like there have like for so so long 
so much of history it's been like oh there's no way that could be a woman uh, nothing but men so. on money like ken's scene where he's seen nothing but men around right like there's just all men on money there's all these posters these men walk around very serious he goes into the, the doctor's office and i need a clicky <laughs> pen i'd like to do can i talk to can i speak to a doctor i am a doctor no no like a man i need to talk to a man i need a clipboard a clicky pen and i want to do an appendectomy like that's the funniest <laughs> scene in the whole oh gosh yeah ken uh, ryan gosling was a great ken fantastic yeah. I loved his sweatshirt at the end. It was like, I am. Kenuff. I want to order it. I'm Knuff. <laughs> I found, I found t-shirt. I found it, not that actual sweatshirt, but I want to order the t-shirt. I found the t-shirt on Etsy. I'm going to order it. Mm, I love it. So good. Yeah. Or that. Oh, and I got to say, I, one of those shameless, I keep listening to um, his song like nonstop. I just can. Oh, I'm just Ken. I'm just Ken. Anywhere like, else I'd be a 10. In the shower, everywhere, everywhere. I mean, our household is filled with Taylor Swift or the Barbie album every mm-hmm. single minute of every day. It is an awesome soundtrack. It was amazing. It's like, I didn't even know Dua Lipa was going to be in the movie, but she made an appearance as like the mermaid. I yeah. was like, okay. <laughs> Did you guys like yeah. John Cena popping up as the merman? <laughs> yeah. I was like, why does he look so familiar? And then it was afterwards, everybody was talking about it. It, it turns out, I guess he was like filming Fast X on the same lot. And he heard that Margot Robbie's filming um, Barbie, Barbie and they're friends from Suicide Squad. And so he went over there and says, I will do whatever you want me to do if I can be in this movie. And they're like, That's do you so want to be funny. a mermaid? He's like, Shh, whatever you want me to do. It's like, okay, here's a wig, here's whatever. And they just filmed that in a day. I wow. I love that. I love that Isn't little, that cool? little hidden um, intimate. Yeah, the, the more... The more I like read about Barbie or see there are more Easter eggs that it like definitely went over my head the first time. So I think I have to watch it like at least one more time um, mm-hmm. to fully understand like all of the nuances and thought that went into it. I think that like it really was just such a thoughtful movie. Yeah. Here's here's one for you. Um, weird Barbie. You mentioned Weird Barbie or was it mm-hmm. Celine? Were you mentioning Weird Barbie? Whoever had Weird Barbie or was it Grace? I don't remember. Someone did. I think it was Grace. It's Grace. Uh, weird Barbie when they have the cut to to the flashback of the kid cutting the hair and doing all that stuff to it that showed how weird Barbie became that way, if you freeze frame it on the back, there are letters on the wall that say Gloria. That is America Ferreira's character as a kid making weird Barbie, which implies that this whole thing is all about her existential crisis and her Barbies. Oh, she made that weird Barbie. She had that whole experience and she's trying to hold on to it mm-hmm. by giving it to her daughter. Her daughter's rejecting it. And that's where all these other things start coming into play. Yeah. Again, very layered. Great, great movie. Yeah. And when I was looking at um, pictures from the Barbie premiere, I like saw CPA, like the globe building from USC, like in the background of the photos, because it was like it was at the at shrine, shrine. right across the street. Um, oh, they did at the shrine? Yeah, they did at the shrine. So like oh. I like images of like Ryan Gosling and I see like USC's campus in the back. And I'm like, <laughs> if I would have been on campus like at that time. Oh that my been. gosh. Yeah. But the next day I was on campus the next day and I saw like the Barbie posters that were up. So oh was- cool. And the Dunkin' Donuts near campus was like all decked out in like Barbie balloons and like pink really? rolling carpet. Yeah. They're That's just cool. They're, they're doing our marketing and advertising for us, Paul. Like USC, no like we're we're like oh back to the Barbie premiere like that's us <laughs> yeah comes no comes school here okay no well also the movie's filled with USC alums Will Ferrell America Ferrera mm-hmm. 
got a lot oh, got, a, got a lot of pedigree in there forgot about will ferrell yeah he that was a that was a funny character it was funny um oh. all right so uh oscar race academy awards who wins what oh gosh are they in the same category would it both be drama or would barbie be considered they, like oscars don't have drama versus comedy it's just oh. best film <laughs> okay uh, let me give you some categories best film best film best writing best screenplay and they i think they would be both based on adapted screenplay because barbie's based on a character that already existed and oppenheimer's based on a story that was already written so i think they're actually would be competing there for writing and screenplay best director i think that you probably would get a best supporting actor combo ryan gosling would be going up against robert Downey jr I feel like the hardest one to choose would be best film, like overall, because they're so different, but also the same in that they're kind of like cultural shifts in yep. terms of like going to the movies for like during that time, like seeing everyone dressed in pink. I was like, this is so cool because like everyone's in on it and everyone loves it and everyone's hyped about it. And that was like probably the best part about the whole it was Nightmare experience. Yeah. But yeah, I don't think I would be able to choose. I'll get back to you once I watch Oppenheimer. <laughs> I I uh I think Nolan wins best director. I think Oppenheimer wins best film. I think Greta Gerwig wins best writing. I think um this is really rough, but I think Robert Downey Jr. wins best supporting actor. I think Killian Murphy wins best actor. Mm-hmm. Although it would be really great to see Ryan Gosling win because he was amazing in this movie, like so fun. He was so good. But I he think that I think that I'm just Ken wins best song. Yeah, for <laughs> sure, for sure. And I can't. I, all I every time I see that that scene or, or I hear that song, all I keep thinking of is like they have to redo this live in the Oscars. Like, can you imagine that <laughs> live with everybody? Oh, that would be, yeah, that would be good. And like with all the special effects too, I wonder like what, what new dances they'd break out in. It'd be great. It'd be great. Lots of Kennergy. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, you, I think, go ahead, sir. I was going to say, are you, a, are you a Ken? Paul, do you identify as a Ken or an Alan? <laughs> Someone, can okay. I don't, this is one thing I don't understand. I don't understand whether being described as an Alan or a Ken is positive or negative. Mm. Like the joke I didn't get was that in sync are all Allens. I didn't. I still don't get it. <laughs> I haven't heard that joke. That was in the oh, movie. Oh gosh. Um, I don't know, Celine. How how would you explain? This is a hard one to explain. My daughter said Allen's uh, better because Allen's friends with the Barbies. He doesn't become one of the yeah. kids. Mm. Yeah, it's Alan. Alan's more of an independent thinker and like true and true like barbie supporter like is not swayed by like what would be the common male opinion or society um yeah i don't i don't know how else to describe it yeah i feel like that sums it up <laughs> mm-hmm. i don't know if you if you scroll through social media or like look it up i'm sure somebody has written like a very thoughtful um expansive take on that on Alan versus I, Ken. Yeah, because I know I have seen some videos where like 
there definitely seems to be more of a nuance to it um, that might have went over my head or just like I don't understand yeah. right away. But yeah, there, there are answers out there somewhere. I just don't know if I have them for the you, truth, Paul. The truth is out there. Um, I don't know. I'll have to get back to you on that one. I I, I honestly do not know. Um, and, and I'm sure there's some sort of movie in the future that'll explore the complexities of Ken. But, you know, who are we kidding? There really isn't complexities of Ken. <laughs> <laughs> He's just Ken. He just beaches. And I am Knuff. He doesn't beach. He, I, he just beach. <laughs> just beach. <laughs> I just beach. And honestly, there's a certain level of simplicity that I love about that because I just want a beach too. <laughs> My job is beach. <laughs> Tell that to Viterbi. <laughs> exactly. My job is beach. All right. Uh, on that note, uh, anything else you all wanted to talk about with either of these movies before we wrap it up? We're all good. I think I think we got to leave it at beach. My job is beach. Well, that was fun. I hope, I don't know if anybody listened to this whole thing. Um, Cause I could just go on and on and on with no actual point. I just have like thoughts that are random. If anyone's been paying attention to this, they're just random thoughts that kind of coalesce. They kind of seem to make sense, but I th- I'm glad you all uh, joined us for this. Celine, thank you very much. Maya, thank you very much. Bye Barbie. Bye Barbie. Bye we'll Barbie. Bye, Bye Barbie. Ken. <laughs> <laughs>